Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. <laughs> Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Two weeks ago, we had an episode where we discussed the Monster Squad and the hit song from that movie, Rock Until You Drop by Michael Cimbello. Dance until your feet fall off. It's just so catchy. It's an earworm that never leaves your ear. Unless you force it out. You gotta force it out with some, <laughs> some clamps. Um, and here we are, two weeks later, with the star of the movie, one of the stars from the movie, Mr. Andre Gower, who AKA also... A.K.A. Sean. A.K.A. Sean, leader of the squad, who's also directed a movie about the Monster Squad called Wolfman's Got Nards. Well... Two weeks ago, we were expecting to have both Andre and Ryan Lambert, who plays Rudy in the movie. And unfortunately, we didn't get Rudy, but fortunately, we got just concentrated Andre goodness time, huh? Oh, man, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. It felt to me, it felt to me like watching a movie with a buddy, well, like like you, my friend, and... and just reminiscing on the things we loved about the movie we're watching. Um, Andre is as excited about film and the eighties as we are, as you'll hear in this interview, like, you know, we went down a rabbit hole of talking about movie soundtracks at one point, which was a lot of fun. Um, It was nice to interview a guy who really loves a movie from 30 plus years ago. And it still holds a really great place in his heart, rightfully so. And he made a documentary about it, uh, Wolfman's Got Nards, that obviously, hopefully, you've watched already. If you haven't, go check it out because it's it's pretty damn good. Uh, and yeah, Andre filled our hour-long time with fun tidbits, fun facts, and uh, things you might not expect. There's something really incredible about loving a movie so much and being a part of that movie when it's going through its its initial release that you love it so much you know 30 40 years later that you make a love letter to all the fans of that movie and then to really see how many how many people love and cherish the monster squad in the same way that we do and um and all the lives that it's touched and um really this whole kind of community that exists um, is is really phenomenal and supportive from what I can tell. Heartfelt and fun. I think that's uh, a pretty good way to sum up our 60 minutes with Andre. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Well, I was calling something... 60 minutes with Andre made me think of 60 minutes with Leslie Stahl. Um, 
Very different. <laughs> very different interviews. Isn't there also a movie called My Date with Andre? Or My Dinner with Andre. My Dinner with Andre, of course. Of course. Yeah. We didn't have Dinner with Andre, but we definitely conversed. Dinner with Andre will be our next episode with him. Now, Andre was such a cool dude. It was such a fun opportunity to get to talk to him, get to know him a little bit better uh, outside of the Monster Squad and his documentary. And, and also just know that this guy loves what he does and it really comes across in our conversation with him. So we can call this our conversation with Andre, our 60 minutes with Andre, our conversation with Andre, our dinner with Andre. Although, again, we didn't eat dinner with him, just to be clear. There was no dinner. Yet. But there will be. Without further ado, enjoy our lovely conversation with Andre Gower. Andre, good morning. This is Dustin. And And Zach. Hey, guys. We didn't plan that intro that way. We're just, no, that, no, we're we're just that good. Um, and you totally should have recorded it, or we can do it again if you need to. This is Dustin, Andre. And this is Zach. Um, well, Andre, thanks so much for joining us. We really we really appreciate having you um, on, and, uh, and we're both very, very excited, um, as, uh, as we are obviously massive fans of... Of the Monster Squad, which you are the uh, star of, the leader of the Monster Squad. You play Sean. And also, you are the director of the brand new sort of uh, Monster Squad fan fan documentary, Wolfman's Got Nards. And um, this movie was one of those movies that, you know, Zach and I, we didn't, we didn't know each other growing up. But we are basically brothers uh, from another mother. I and wish we knew each other. Yeah, if up. we had known each other growing up, man. Oh, the adventures! I don't know. We would have, <laughs> could have, yeah. Probably would have been in yep. our own squad. A that's rat- for sure. We would have. We, yeah. Oh well. There, I, I last week or last episode, we uh, we actually re- re- revisited the movie, as well as uh, "Rock Until You Drop" by Michael Cimbello, the the catchiest song off the Monster Squad soundtrack. And uh, and we were discussing like you know do you uh, did you have any squads growing up and I was like well yeah kind of I created the Rad Patrol which I think was for radical awesome dude patrol with with my brother and uh, <laughs> and I said Zach you would definitely be in you would definitely be in it um, Andre did you did you have any any clubs like that prior to to your work on Monster Squad or after <laughs> I didn't have like a I didn't have like a named club like with patches or like a motorcycle cut or anything but <laughs> you know or like special berets but that would have been fun i i think what i that's did the key for, the berets. I, <laughs> with the motorcycle cut, oh my, that's yeah, a whole of other course thing. um we just invented <laughs> like a motorcycle brasserie um <laughs> 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 uh, but to, to to address your inquiry, um, I had a t- I was very social. I had a ton of friends. I kind of lived in uh, two separate, distinct worlds. Like I had, you know, growing up in the industry, I started very young, you know, around the age of five, and so you grow up with a bunch of kids in the industry that you know and 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 can relate to because you're all doing the same thing. And then I had a whole other world which was not industry 
connected. And it was, you know, my neighborhood friends or, you know, mostly school friends. I loved going to school as a kid, like absolutely loved going to school. That's good. And, to hear. and I didn't even mind being in class and listening to teachers and learning stuff because for some reason I just got very fortunate and I went to great schools and I had awesome teachers That's and great. then cool friends, you know, that I'm still kind of friends with either you know, very actively or just social, you know, Facebook actually, um, you know, going all the way back to, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade type of things. And which is, which is kind of cool and kind of says something. And so I had groups of friends and yeah, we would, we would, we would hang out in groups and, and, and do kind of in kind and, and like kind things. But I had so many, cause I was, I, I just, I just had a big roster to, you know, to kind of be involved in. And then on the flip side of that, especially when I was very young, I would have neighborhood friends or school friends, but I would mostly play when I got to, like when I was really wanted, I would, I would do it by myself (laughs) (laughs) because it would be, because I liked to, um, to create things and imagine worlds and like build things in the backyard and, you know, when that's inside of your head and you're creating characters or voices for the guys that are driving your Hot Wheels cars or something, uh, you know, having someone else there just doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. But, and, uh, and you know, them. I, I think I had a cool balance of that, yeah. But obviously after the movie, um, and, we'll, and we'll talk certainly about how when the movie came out and there were certain expectations of its success and it didn't <laughs> actually achieve those those expectations uh, in a way, yes. and, and the movie itself uh, went on to, to, to almost have several different, different lives over the course of its, and it's still going, yeah. it's still going. It's like, um, you know, this, the Monster Squad could be the biggest movie in the history of the world in, in 30 years. <laughs> I mean, very well could be. Uh, you know, who knows? But, um, but after that, I mean, because the Monster Squad, like, you guys were the, the, the cool kids, and obviously... In the 80s, and your documentary talks about this a little bit, the movies from the 80s that made uh, kids sort of at the forefront of the adventure, um, that that was kind of where it where it all started. The first time we had all seen that, obviously, with the Goonies, E.T. Um, Explorers. Explorers is a good one that a lot of people don't mention mm-hmm. yeah. and should mention. Yeah. Uh, thank you for mentioning. You're welcome. Uh, That's what I do. <laughs> but after that... After the Monster Squad came out, I mean, I imagine a lot of a lot of kids would kind of see you out and about, and you know, you're the you're the commander of this of this squad. You evolved it from just a, a simple we just draw monsters in our club to no, now we kill monsters and hunt them, uh, <laughs> uh, presumably for pay too with, with the business cards. Um, although I can't <laughs> imagine who the business manager would be amongst the kids. Uh, very long winded question to basically ask, you know. Out in the world, were were people kind of looking to you more as like an idle kid, you know, like you 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 have what we want as far as leading a club. You know, I think they were, you know, in other locales, but like you know, all my I had. Let's see, I, I shot Monster Squad when I was thirteen. It came out when I was fourteen, um, so that's that perfect age to because you don't have a car yet. And you don't probably have many friends that have a driver's license quite yet. You know, maybe a few. Um, Rudy was old enough to drive a car, I think, at that point. <laughs> or you would just steal one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, right after Monster Squad, you know, Ryan Ryan d- did have his driver's license. And so, you know, we would, we would you know, get to ride around and hang out in his blue Honda Accord. And, um, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and, but what was awesome about that time, as is reflected in all those, you know, kind of awesome movies of the time, is that, that neighborhood feel, getting on your dirt bike. Yeah. You know, going on adventures, going up in the hills, going up in the woods, you know, if you live near woods or, you know, trolling your neighborhood. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, either solo or I'd ride my bike to a friend's house and would, you know, take our, our our bikes up in the hills or on the on the dirt trails and and just explore, you know, and, and go on adventures or just be out. You know, it was totally different where you could just go out and waste an entire Saturday just by roaming. And not really yeah. doing anything in particular, just kind of like being in the neighborhood or, you know, in the surrounding, you know, I grew up in, in, in the valley north of L.A. And, okay. Uh, you know, in the north part of the valley. So I had access to not neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times you live in a city or whatever. It's like it's neighborhood and then your next neighborhood. Yeah. I was up in, you know, the in Porter Ranch area and Granada Hills. So you could ride your bike to the end of where houses were and go like in, in wilderness kind of, That's which awesome. was which was kind of rad. Um, you know, very ET. You know, speaking of, since you mentioned ET and 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 we're talking about bikes and going out the groups, it's awesome to see ET because you know in that chase scene with the cops and and the kids are going down those housing pads. Yeah, yeah. You know, on their bikes, it's a very scene. iconic kind of action sequence. I just they didn't invent that; we did. That was my neighborhood, actually. <laughs> it's like when they were building those homes in the subdivision, we did that first. They stole that from us, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I had great groups of friends and, and like I said, different, uh, you know, friends from different areas and different neighborhoods and, uh, you know, different schools and even industry kids. We would just, we would just play and be adventurous and inventive and creative. And I don't know if they were looking at me as the leader. I think we all, you know, if you're in a group or you have one or two, you know, those roles kind of naturally find themselves, I think, right? And yeah. I think that's sort of, re- you know, reflected in something like Monster Squad. And that's why everybody's kind of, f- it, they just felt comfortable with that movie and the cast and the kids because they all related to somebody. Is Frankenstein the name of the monster or the guy who made him? The guy. Right. Can't you read? Mom says you have to let me in the club or else it's prescription. That's discrimination, jerkoid. Prescriptions, drugs, which you're on if you think you're getting up here. Two ways to kill a werewolf. Silver bullet? And? That's it. Shoot him with a silver bullet. Nope. Sorry, Rudy. (laughs) Okay, so what's the other way? What? Second way to kill a werewolf. Um, car crash? Accident with power tools? Old age? Falling out a window? Onto a bomb? Sean, baby, dinner! Everybody wanted to be Rudy, but they were either... You know, Horace or Patrick or, you know, the insufferable know-it-all bossing everybody around Sean. <laughs> so like, right. You know, right. We, we all have those friends. And, you know, damn it, I was probably Sean. <laughs> I always got shafted. But, with, uh, uh, I always got shafted when we when we would go out. I wanted to be Dutch from Predator. And they're like, no, you got to be Billy. And I'm like, what? I don't want to be the guy that dies <laughs> that, that way. <laughs> Not with his knife. Yeah. Well, at least you weren't Hawkins, the first guy to get skinned. <laughs> very true. But, very um, true. But you get skinned, dude. Which ironically was Shane Black, who wrote yeah, Monster Squad. That's why I brought it okay. up. So there you go. <laughs> you see what I did there? Uh, Shane Black, yet again, <laughs> saves the movie. Um, <laughs> you know, that whole Predator story is so interesting with Van Damme and the red chicken suit and all that mess. It's crazy. It's, well, um, it, is, it is pretty wild. It's pretty wild that he had a hand in such a huge hand, obviously, in Monster Squad. Um, in so many iconic films, Lethal Weapon, Predator, 
Monster Squad. I would I would lump all of those together because anything that maintains a uh, love or a fandom or a, is a, is is a part of your culture growing up as a child, it it deserves to be kind of included in that same category. Uh, and it was so nice seeing him in the the documentary Wolfman Wolfman's Got Nards because his perspective on uh, when he the writing process of so talking about when he scripted the thing and and and, and the, uh, the the idea that well, I want to make this thing cooler that I want to take the monsters from like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and cool them up you know make them even more like devious and I don't think anything compares personally to Monster Squad you know people talk about oh I love the Goonies and that's great that's great I love the Goonies too. But when I think of like a kid group, I think of the Monster Squad. That is the squad I go with. That is always like my that and Explorers, just on a personal level, you know, because I think that that felt more relatable to me too, because I was a suburban kid and a dreamer. And uh, for mm-hmm. you that have the opportunity to play as a kid, but also go on set and play as an actor, is a really fun rarity. Um, Period. You know, I think it's really special that you got to do that and you had your core group of friends outside of film and you had them in film as well. It's really cool. Yeah, you know, it, it, it certainly is. And obviously you don't know what is going to happen or could happen when you're like making a movie. You know, we didn't know it wasn't going to perform well in the box office for a number of reasons. And we didn't know 20 years later it was a giant thing around the world and has this amazing legion of loyal fans that – are the only reason that have kept it alive. And I think it's, you know, in part, like what you mentioned, like when you think of that group or that time or that era in your life, if you're in that age range, like a lot of people think, no, Monster Squad's my thing. And, yep. you know, I created my own club and we built the tree house or we converted the tool shed into our clubhouse because I didn't have a tree. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, or we just made, you know, Tommy's Garage our clubhouse or something. And, that's really what kind of inspired the original concept to make a documentary a number of years ago because I kept hearing those amazing stories by these fans after the resurgence and going on these appearances and conventions and and really hearing these deep and personal stories of how this movie connected and, and, and never unconnected with these people. And then also uh, how it impacted their lives. It wasn't just something that they liked and could always go back yeah. to. That's a part of it too. But it literally impacted people's lives and, and shaped their lives or changed their lives. And I, I, at the very beginning, when we started hearing those stories, I didn't really, I don't want to say I, I discounted those stories, but I thought they were a little fantastical because I thought they were just paying lip service because they were meeting someone that's in their favorite movie and, you know, people get excited. And then after three or four years of the same thing, and it never gets old, I'll tell you, just, it re-energizes you every time you hear an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. And you realize that it actually had an impact. And that's what the, the documentary is. And I, you know, I, I wanted, I realized that their stories were a story. But then I realized that there was such an interesting dynamic or phenomenon with this connection. And I wanted to look into that too. And I, I, I had to figure out how to do that. And luckily, I ran into, you know, the Pilgrim Media guys, uh, Henry McComas and Wes Caldwell and Aaron Kunkel. And Henry and I just, you know, we had an opportunity to pitch that to the executives there. Uh, you know, I worked out a deal with that studio partner, and I got to work with a, an amazing group of dudes to, uh, you know, really dive into 
that analysis a little bit. And boy, were we we got more than we bargained for. We we got some really good stuff in that in that year of shooting. You you did congratulations yeah. on the movie, by the way. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a fantastic. Oh, thanks, guys. It's a wonderful love letter, really, to, yeah. to the fans. Um, did you? So prior to the deal with Pilgrim, had you already been been shooting, or was was it more? Uh, you know, you gave the pitch and then off to the races um, after that. A little similar, but almost a little opposite of that. I, I had had the idea. Honestly, the I, I knew we were going into the 30th anniversary year, um, which was going to be big. We're going to do a bunch of screenings, a lot of conventions, you know, because they, they tend to pile on, you know, in anniversary years. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it'd be really neat. It'd, it'd be neat to kind of put some of these people on camera. Um, you know, maybe I go and buy, you know, like a used you know, 4k camera, <laughs> you know, that may be all dinged up that I don't have to pay much for. And <laughs> sure. Ryan and I, you know, at the time we're doing the podcast, we were uh, doing, um, were we doing short ends? No, no, we hadn't started short ends yet, but I had just pitched short ends as a, as a show and it ended up getting bought and developed at Nerdist. And I was like, let's just go on the road We'll interview some fans, and then we know five or six, you know, big fans in the LA area. We'll sit them down, hang out, just put them on camera, and then like we'll get one of our, you know, filmmaker friends to like cut together like a forty-five minute kind of short doc or something, and we'll put it on our website for like a dollar. And I sort of experimented with that with a couple people that were friends of mine. We went to a convention, and we shot some footage, and interviewed some people, and it it it, it wasn't what it should have been. And so it kind of went on the the, the side burner for a little bit because I got I was involved with this other TV show that I was doing, ironically at Lionsgate, mm -hmm. uh, for Comic Con HQ when that existed, and then that very quickly <laughs> didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and then at, this, at the same time, I sold a show to Nerdist for their new subscription channel called Alpha, and then that ended up not existing. But um, I, at least we got to do two seasons of of that show that Ryan Lambert and I co-hosted. It was awesome. It was one of my favorite things I've ever done. It lasted longer. But than it was all at the same TV. time. <laughs> QB or whatever. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Right? Um, Sorry. I saw I saw that coffin uh, like three years ago. Yeah. And just when just the concept was being floated oh, around, I was like, totally. nope, nope, totally. <laughs> Sorry, not gonna happen. Disaster. But luckily, you know, I went and I was I, I was kind of pitching a larger doc idea around, um, you, you know, to a couple places. But honestly, what happened is I was going to lunch with uh, one of, you know, a longtime, you know, family best friend, Jen Auth, who worked at Pilgrim Media Group. Then she was the head of post-production. She'd been there forever. And I was just sliding by to, you know, go to lunch with my friend. And in the in the kind of parking lot loading area for the building she's like hey remember when uh you know you know how i've said there's a couple of monster squad fans on my floor i was like yes she goes that's one of them right there and i said the guy unloading the truck she goes yeah she goes let's go <laughs> she goes what do you mean i said let's go say hi she's like okay so we jumped out of the car and called anthony over it was anthony leisner and he was uh, a production guy at pilgrim media group and he was unloading like a box truck, like just of gear and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she called him over and he was like, oh my God, what's going on, man? This is awesome. You know, I've actually seen it down and down. We, we talked for about a minute or two. And then out of the front of the building, these three guys came just going on their lunch break. And it was Henry McComas, Wes Caldwell, and Aaron Kunkel. Oh, I love it. That's and crazy. That's awesome. They realized that 
according to their story, they recognized me when they came out of the building because Wes had met me at a screening at the Egyptian like the year before or something. Okay. Actually, I have a photo with Wes. And I, we stopped talking and, you know, they, we, we started just meeting on the sidewalk and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm here with Jen to go to lunch and, uh, you know, we're talking about this and I'm working on that. And he's like, wait, you're doing what? Can we go to lunch? And so I ended up going to lunch with those three guys like the next couple of days. And Henry was like, look, man, I, I understand you're working on this other stuff in the show. And, but you've got this doc project that I'd like to talk about because I think this is something that we'd be interested in doing here. And I think we can find a way to take it to the executives and, and, and pitch it to them. And we're looking at doing something kind of unique. And I understand that it, it's a different concept than just like a straight kind of, you know, fan service doc, which yeah. this totally is not. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. You know, let's, let's chat about that. And then very quickly, we, um, we kind of put it together. We put like a one pager, we put a deck together. Um, actually, you know, my, my wife used to make my deck, my pitch decks back then. Cause she's amazing at that. She's so much better than most it's of the scale. people that I know it's that do scale. that. Yeah. And it, it, she's, she's absolutely fantastic at it. My wife and does the same it was, thing. Actually. It was, I'm not even joking. What? My wife did the same thing when she was at Hulu for a little bit, she was doing that. And, and I'm like, how do you do this? Oh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a graphics. I, I'm visual and I'm graphically oriented and, you know, I can maneuver stuff around a page because I used to work at newspapers and do some layout and, but she's just so much better. <laughs> and then she actually takes my copy and just makes it so much better. So that's a whole other tangent. You know, <laughs> she could have a whole podcast on her own. We could talk about strong wives, at, uh, you know, on a later that's podcast. Right. So. Yep. That's right. On the strong wives podcast. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> actually, we, we did. Yeah. We did want to pitch that to you. Yeah, strong wives, uh, weak we're... husbands. <laughs> no, no, uh, no problem. Um, <laughs> Honey, can I do that? Is that okay? Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, and very quickly, like, and then we ended up having, like, the the meeting with the executives and the main guy, and you know, it was awesome. one of those things like, we had this whole like hour long thing planned out, and it took like ten minutes, and he was like, "Why wouldn't we do this? We're in. Let's go." Was that Craig Pelagian? <laughs> it was. It was. It's so funny. And um, I was like, okay. <laughs> That, I, I mean, what comes, what you ultimately brought to the screen and what everybody can see, uh, it's on 1999 for the Blu-ray on Amazon, by the way. Um, I'm just pitching that out there. Uh, it, it, I love it because, and Dustin and I were talking about this, it is such a nostalgic love letter to that time, and it is ripe right now. Obviously, that one of the reasons why we do the podcast is because we love, we have this love of 80s nostalgia, movies, soundtracks, etc., but it's this the connection you said earlier uh, with the fans and the fans' stories and how some of them are so unbelievable, but but they're real and and so personable and and it makes sense you know you've got an inclusion of celebrities on there as well and it, and that and, and that's cool to hear their kind of their take on their feelings about Monster Squad but the fans uh, it was at one point I got choked up because it, it's so it, it's obvious it's so meaningful to them and it's such a beautiful thing you know when one of the uh, fans is talking about how it got her through a really hard time in her life, and she starts breaking down. And 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 you think, my God, you know, it, it the impact that films have in general um, is so powerful, and and it should never be taken for granted, in my opinion, because whether it's a movie like, I don't know, uh, 
Field of Dreams or, or Shawshank Redemption or something like bigger <laughs> that people resonate with or something on a smaller scale. It doesn't matter. It's what you personally feel when you when you watch a film uh, and that connection. And that really comes across in the documentary. You, you, you achieve that really well. And I just think it's so beautiful that you uh, that you paid tribute to to the fans and 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 everybody involved. And it was nice to hear the perspective of the of the guys that worked with Stan Winston, not, you know, obviously not Stan Winston. He can't be here. Rest in peace. Right. But, uh, but you know, the people that, that Stan create... Winston's ghost. That yes. was an amazing interview. Well, I think yeah. Stan Winston's ghost would raise his hand and say, Oh, I made all this I'm... stuff. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you, you know, you hit one of the main points on the head. And I, I appreciate that coming through and you guys mentioning that because that was a main point of emphasis in, in making this documentary from the beginning. And what's one is to, it's about the fans. It's not a fan service story. No. You know, here's that big spoonful of nostalgia and yeah. then we're out. Uh, it's it's about telling those stories of how they related and connect and were impacted. But also, you know, we were very aware that we didn't want to make it just Monster Squad centric. Yeah. It's about, like you said, whatever movie or film or even a TV show or something or even a song, you know, that that takes you to that spot or you can recenter or reconnect with yourself um, or, or, you know, heal wounds, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is. And that's how we open up the movie. I mean, it's very interesting. We open up what everybody is expecting to be a, you know, kind of a, 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 a rip, a rip down the neighborhood lane, nostalgia dock yeah. of just fun. And we start off with a group of people that have never seen the movie. And then we start off with a group of people that you may or may not recognize their faces talking about their favorite movies of all time. And then we mentioned Monster Squad. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, um, Raising you know, Arizona, and then sort actually. of, so we wanted to set that tone and we wanted to set that feeling of, do you remember that time, whenever it was, whether it was a Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon when you and maybe a buddy or you and your dad or you and your mom sat in that theater, the lights went out, you're with, you know, 50 or 60 or hundred strangers. You're all watching the same thing. The lights go down, that projector lights up behind you and something changes. And that's what we were trying to capture. Just, you know, very subliminally, we were trying, you know, to, to create that mood. And that's why the, the only, there's only one repeated shot in this documentary. And it's that uh, opening little sequence where you're in the theater and it goes down. We repeat that back when we're wrapping everything up to kind of seal it all up. I, I think this is going to open up a new audience that is unfamiliar with film. You know, the film process when Ryan is watching the, um, when he's the projection booth and talking about how yeah. he loves, he just, he loves that idea, you know, the process of the film being loaded in. Right. And there is a, a, an audience that we feel will, will reach uh, that are unfamiliar with all of that. I have a six-year-old son who's very familiar with the Monster Squad. In fact, uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but I, I, I make notes for my son and I tagged you guys about a year ago uh, doing like a Monster Squad notes where there was like Rudy and Sean and, and the, the Wolfman. And, but it, what, what, what I noticed with that is, that, you know, he's six years old, but he knows what VHS tapes are. He knows what he has his own Walkman. You know, we, we watch we have a VCR, blah, 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 much the, Ooh, to the chagrin crap. of my wife because she's like, oh do we really need all this stuff? I'm like, yes, we yeah. really need all this stuff. Um, but, uh, <laughs> at least Academy six again, right. Zach. <laughs> really? but you know, I, 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 
for for a while before I was a parent and I was I was a kindergarten teacher for many years, I would mm. bring that into the classroom with my kids. And I had Adam Goldberg's son in my class um, and, and Brendan back in the day. And and, uh. and and then he would come in the classroom. He's like, oh, you have an Ultimate Warrior picture on your wall and in my <laughs> office, you know, my office part of the classroom. That's, and very yeah, that's much very Adam. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, it was right around the time the, the warrior had passed and we talked. We yeah. talk, he's like, oh, I'm making an episode of tribute to the warrior and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> really good guy, by the way. Um, Absolutely. And it was so cool Great to guy. see him, obviously, a part of the process. But I, I, I love that there's the majority of this generation has no familiarity with, you know, yeah. projection booths, VCRs, you know. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting that there, yeah. it's, it, was, it was just all of a sudden a disconnect. Yes. It was all of a sudden there, and then one day it wasn't. And there was a little bit of, you know, kind of like death rattle <laughs> stuff. But, I mean, they really don't have connection to it if you're, if you're super young, and, and they probably won't. Um, and it's very interesting. I, I, I think it's always good for anybody, especially kids, to, you know, see where things come from. Totally. You know, it doesn't matter what cool stuff you have. There was something before your cool thing. You know, and before, you know, your PS5, there was an Atari 2600. <laughs> yeah, I used to bring out a record to my students. And I said, you guys, you see these little lines on this thing? This, this is where the music comes from. They're like, how is that possible? Caveman. Watching the ninja. <laughs> how is this fire created? Roar. You know, and, <laughs> but it's so true. And like my son, he's like, how does this tape get this image? How does, how does it get the picture on the screen? I'm like, it boggles my mind too. And it's cool that. Alien technology. Right? It's foreign. Oh and, you know, and, and this idea that kids nowadays don't necessarily connect with that. But, but you profiled one particular family in, in the film that got a chance to, to visit the Warner Brothers lot, which was really cool. And they were all dressed up. And it, it just, it made me feel like there's hope in the world. <laughs> you know, that these You know, and, and I think it's, I, I, I agree with you. It's families like that. That's Alex Tappengott and the Tappengott clan. And. They are in the movie because we were, I think it was Ryan and I. Are they in a band or is, is that a formal name? No, that should be because they'd okay. be awesome. They live, I think, in, uh, they live in like uh, Tahoe, Reno area up there. Okay. And so, so that I'm, I'm giving the, the, the backstory of why they're impressive. Ryan and I were at a convention in Chicago. And met them because they drove from Reno to Chicago to meet oh, me and Ryan. That's impressive. And I went, wait, what do you, what do you? It was actually Alex and his oldest son, I think, was the, or maybe the two sons, the first time. I've seen them a bunch because they're awesome. Wow. I like pals. He just texted me the other day. That's cool. Um, that's fantastic. And then in a, you know a couple years later, uh, we were at Horror Hound in Cincinnati or Cincinnati adjacent. It's nowhere near Cincinnati. And, um the entire family drove from home to Cincinnati because Ryan and I were there. Ashley was there. Steve and Mock was there and all the monsters were there. Nice. And they weren't going to miss that. And I was no. like, guys, what do you like? We lit like I'll meet you in like Fresno or something. It's like, <laughs> let's just meet halfway. What do you guys keep doing? And they, they arrived at that show in, in costume in cosplay as the monster squad. That's and it so cool. Oh, wow. Wrecked me. It <laughs> yes. blew my yeah. mind. And and so I was like, I was trying to work out a scenario on the Warner Brothers lot, and it was, um, it, it, you know, had a connection with someone that worked PR at at Warner Brothers, 
and we ended up talking and it's like you can't get on the like you can't get on the lot to go shoot anything right yeah and her name was jessica and you know she was like uh you know head of corporate communications or something at warner brothers and um she had known someone i don't remember how we ended up connecting but we did and i was like are there any any chance that um we could come and shoot she's like no that doesn't happen (laughs) but let me ask let me check and then she's like hey look I think it was a Friday. On Friday, the so-and-so, uh, if you guys run over here, they'll let you on the lot and you can interview somebody. And I always wanted to know I wanted to bring somebody to Town Square. I just didn't know who and who was going to work out. It have to be someone, you know, it would have to be someone local, right? Yeah. Sure. And I was like, that we've got to be able to make that happen for this documentary because everybody loves Town Square. Yeah. In Monster Squad. It's also been Town Square and a thousand other things, but you know, it's Town Square and Monster Squad. And lo and behold, the timing worked out that the Tappengots were going to Disney like that weekend. Oh wow. And I said, Alex, if you drive down early on the Friday, I'm going to have a surprise for you. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And I said, awesome. you know, but if I were you, I'd, 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 I'd have the kids in their squad get up. <laughs> when uh, you come, awesome. I'm going to give you an address. And then like he pulls up to the gate at Warner Brothers. He's like, what is happening? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. As a and fan, so I, that is I so I'd, exciting. That is so exciting. Yeah. I don't think I could have uh, uh, worked out or picked. It's not like I picked the best one. I, I think it worked out for the yeah. best group or their best you know fan the family to come on town square and sit on the steps and that was that was just magic that's fantastic. I, I love that part um and uh they're a great fa- their their kids just made me ryan and ashley uh some monster themed uh uh covid masks that's oh, and the best. mailed them to nice. me <laughs> cool. that's the best so really monster squad spans so far beyond anything we could ever imagine as far as the fandom and hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price Got your happy price, price line. I did want to segue back to, because um, Zach brought up Adam Goldberg, who is, yeah, uh, obviously he's in your documentary, but he is the showrunner creator of The Goldbergs on ABC. And for those that may not know that show, that is, you know, about an 80s movie. It's basically about him as a, as a child. It's about his life growing up in the 80s and his love of 80s movies. He is the only one in your documentary that brings up uh, a reference to Nards. Um, the uh, the Wolfman's got Nards, of course, being the most infamous line from the Monster Squad. Um, but Zach and I were talking about the movie, and we were saying, like, up until that point, Nards was not a word that any of us used. I did not yeah. know about it. Semantics-wise, the Monster Squad, you know, kind of just hits you in the face with Nards. I'm like, I was no pun intended. hits you in the face with the yeah. Nards. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Balls, you know, nuts, gonads. These were all words that I knew. It, it, what, what is your personal experience with, with nards? <laughs> I, my, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. 
No, um, no, no. No, as a word, the exact know? same thing. I remember rehearsing and and getting re- you know reading the script and going through read throughs, and I read that line because I say kick him in the nards first. Yes, yeah, you do so. Yeah. I'm the first one. I'm the first one that says nards in 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 the script, and I I didn't know what I could infer that it meant. You know, nuts, right? And. <laughs> I was like, I don't know this word, and this sounds really weird and corny. Like I've never, I, I don't like this. I don't think I like this. And and I, I asked if I could channel. I was like, I don't, I'm, I don't know this word. Yeah. And I remember yeah. oh, Fred I saying, Yeah. Fred said, uh, No, let's not change it. Just leave it as it is on the page. And lo and behold, probably the luckiest thing that ever happened to an iconic piece of dialogue or my dumb idea to be uncomfortable saying a word I don't know or add scene. Cause I just, you know, I was a 13 year old kid. I was like, I don't know this. Is this cool word? Like, I don't know yeah. this. And obviously it can't, I, I think it's a Shane line and it, you know, must've been a Pittsburgh thing or something. And you know, but at the time you have no idea that it's going to become a thing. No, of course not. Let alone a piece of, you know, here's another interesting thing about monster squad. And you sort of mentioned it at the very beginning. We started talking about how monster squad, is different in a way as a film and as a piece of cinema and movie story telling that really changed a lot of stuff or impacted even more people. Like it changed the game and practical creature effects. It was at the beginning of visual effects to do certain things. It was, you know, uh, you know, five different people, you know, four or five different people performing in suits all at once that are different and, you know, a group of kids, you know, that, you know, it, it, it's really a kid's adventure movie that has quite a bit of danger in it, you know. Yeah. And I think it's what everybody related to. But movie-wise and industry-wise, I think it was a game changer, even if people don't realize it was. And it's things like the writing. Yeah. And the 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 conditions and the concepts and the situations the kids were in, uh, you know, it led to other stuff. And look at that line. It became obviously the most famous line in the movie. Um, and so it was the only title for a documentary when you're talking about how this movie impacted people or an industry or the world. It's Wolfman's Got Nards. Yeah. Absolutely. When you're saying that line either kick him in the nard and i mean that's obviously my most <laughs> sought autograph yeah of course you know people come and say like, hey man will you sign my poster i was like do you want anything special yeah, like, on kick it? him in the nard and they're like, <laughs> they're like you, you know you know what i want <laughs> you know what i want you don't want the I was cat like, heads you want it cat- he's like yeah i was like all right here it comes so it says you know to zach kick him in the nards andre Gower. <laughs> and it, they they it, it's funny how when they look at it it's almost like a pause and they're like, oh, my God, this is so dumb that you think they're going to say. And they go, this is gold. <laughs> you know, they go, I've, I can't believe this is on my poster. Well, you know, and yeah. I'm like, you know, and, and they get they get, um, you know, a bang from Rudy. That's that's his best one. Right. Yes. And then obviously oh, right. Ashley has to write, don't be chicken shit. Yeah. Yep. And it's fabulous. <laughs> but the the iconography of the, 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 the dialogue becomes and then who knows you know who who could have ever dreamt that just a side comment that is actually a character description 
of Sean, the character, about this dorky kid who's sitting in the principal office. He happens to be wearing a homemade iron-on shirt that says Stephen King rules. Yeah. And they're sitting in trouble. Like, it was just a flyby kind of character description intro that some cost, you know, the costume designer had to go and be like, what do I got to make? I'm reading this guy. I got to make a t-shirt like a dorky kid would make and like iron on some letters. Now that shirt is a literally piece of iconography. It is. It that really is. Has, I, that has now even transcended itself because there's now other shirts a la the SKR shirt mm-hmm. that say different things, but it's meant to be an SKR shirt. You know, my, my favorite was like Jonah Ray, a good friend of my committee, wore one and posted it. It says, Dean Koontz is okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, that's the funniest thing. But I love when, when, when fans make their own shirts and like, I don't care what colors they are. I love when they make their own. It's just this awesome thing. And who would have thunk all that way back then? Yeah, there's a company called 8-Bit Zombie uh, that I'm sure you're familiar I- with. Yeah, yeah. And they I have he sent me a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they created he created a whole Monster Squad kid pack and uh you know yeah. the, the the patches and uh the t-shirts and it it I will say uh growing up as a kid obviously both heavily influenced by what we saw on screen, you know, Real Genius always stood out to me as having some of the best t-shirts uh mm. Val Kilmer's character yeah. and uh and then when yeah. when Monster Squad came out I'm like I want a Stephen King rule shirt. I, I, where can you get this? You know, all these shirts that, you know, and Revenge of the Nerds, uh, high on high anxiety, high on anxiety or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the, the whole idea, or like in One in the Oven from Police Academy. One in the Oven. Like, oh, God. there is a, uh, there, that is, your shirt is iconic. I think if there's not a t-shirt movie museum, because well, I know they just reopened a Hollywood museum in Los Angeles. Uh, and they did. Off yes. of, uh, La Brea, I think, and I if they do not have a T-shirt section of in that museum, like popular T-shirts of the '80s and movies, there there needs to be yeah. because, and your they shirt should, should actually be at the someone floor. someone should call the curator for that floor because that's a that's in the old Max Factor building. Yeah, it's, yes, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a uh, Highland. It's Highland Hollywood and Highland, and um, it, it was I've I've been to it. It's 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 kind of awesome. But I went to this giant party because Tom Woodruff's you know, um, Algamated Dynamics studio. Oh. Yeah, had this like big exhibition and like yeah. there was a thousand mm. people in there. Right. <laughs> and stuff. Um, but no, that it's amazing how something like a t-shirt becomes a thing. And now you, and it's because and of you. Well, well, it's because of whoever wrote that line in the page. I don't, I mean, I'm sure my, you know, hulking physique, you know, really, you know, helped. Um, it's, it's some tailored old, you know, bad Levi's right off the rack and, um, you know, some scuffed up, scuffed up Stan Smith's, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the t-shirt it's, you know, and it's been in, it's been in a, in, in a bag in a box basically for 30 years. And, um, it, it, it makes an appearance in the documentary. I love yes, when you do that in, yes, in one special section, which is kind of cool. I won't give it away with what everyone tends to say in the movie, but it's it's a really it's almost like the iconic um, uh, Snake Plissken in Escape from New York. I thought you'd be taller, kind of thing, you know. But I do want to. It's funny. It's a great bit. I do want to say, by the way, um, you know, when you said that the the Nards line didn't feel authentic to you as a kid, I don't think it felt authentic to us too. 
and it is funny how we 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 talk about how uh, you know there's there's one point in the documentary when we, when you talk about you know a script should be it doesn't sound like kids actually saying this thing and I remember cringing at it when I first saw it like what's that but then again going back to my son I showed him the trailer because I haven't showed him the film yet I think it might there's you know there's one the, the scene when you go to retrieve the amulet it's very terrifying to this day mm-hmm. uh, and when mm-hmm. Dustin and I watched it last week we both still said yeah that scene still very terrifying um, but I show him the trailer <laughs> And, and, and obviously the Nards line is in there. And he says, well, this is when he was five. He's like, what are Nards? And I, and I tell him, and, and he just la- starts laughing his ass off. Because there's this idea, like, <laughs> when, as a kid, when you change the word, it doesn't matter. As long as the meaning's still there, it's hilarious. You know? Right, right. right. And then I think that first impression just imprints. And I think totally. that's what happened. Because I don't think anybody had known Nards except for maybe Shane Black. <laughs> like, he may have invented, like, he may have never even heard it until he wrote it. I don't he, know. I mean, that's fascinating. Dorking, dorking too? Did he invent uh, Oh, dorking? yeah. Ben Dorking. Dor- yeah, <laughs> right. When, when, that was on the page. That was actually the audition scene. I remember that. Oh, really? Um, but, oh, my God. Well, you know, I don't, um, I, I was, I was going to mention something and then I'll, I'll, I'll go to the audition scene in, in a second. But, Ryan tells a great story about how he was uh, doing his fitting. And, you know, Ryan, you know, Ryan's a cool guy. I got style, you know, musician yeah. at the time. And Ryan who plays Rudy, the for anyone who doesn't know. Ryan, who, That's Ryan right. plays Rudy in the Ryan movie. Lambert. Ryan Lambert. Plays Rudy. And he's at in the wardrobe, you know, you know, department. And I think the costumer, she had like, you know, probably three or four or five different leather jackets on her rack, to, you know, to see which one looks right, you know, fits him right, you know, whatever to, to pick is the movie jacket. Because his leather jacket is his thing. Oh, yeah, totally. And she put on the one that he ends up wearing in the movie. And Ryan, very much like I kind of did with the line, said, and I usually don't like telling other people's story, but this is a point that that affects my story as well, so they kind of dovetail in. Uh, he said, and I love this story when he tells it, he goes, yeah, I don't know. This jacket just doesn't feel like me. Hmm. And she looked at him and said, well, that's okay, because you're not playing you. <laughs> yeah. And Ryan said, whoa. Like, internally, he was, he was like, whoa, okay, I get what's happening here. Hmm. I understand what, what what needs to be done. This is the 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 the... the the wannabe Brando character, the wannabe James Dean character. Like, I get what's happening here. Um, this is the jacket then. And so they chose that when it became iconic. Same thing with the line. Yep. Do, I, I'm not... Andre Gower in the neighborhood, like with his friends, wouldn't say, you know, kick him in the nards. <laughs> I would have said, like, you know, I would have I would have said, punt him in the nuts or balls or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Family jewels. <laughs> But I'm not playing Andre. No. I'm playing Sean Crenshaw, this kid in any town USA that says these lines. And I, I think we both learned something. Totally. At the exact same, you know, in the in the exact same time of 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 what movies are and what story is and what and what acting, you know, you know, can be as an experience. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be all like, ooh, I'm an actory guy, but um because I think acting's literally the easiest job on the set. It really is. Well, I was. You're honestly the least important person on the set. I will say though, uh, you're certainly the most interchangeable. You are right. definitely the most interchangeable. I will say um, there's a level of play you know, though that that you mentioned, and and we Dustin and I both have uh, taken classes with Richard Horowitz, who is 
a phenomenal act, acting teacher and voice actor and actor in, in general. And talking about playing, you know, having fun playing the character, right? Being, the, yeah. being that person. And there's, there's that idea of like, no, you are not Andre Gower right now. You're right. You're, you're Sean. But I think that's a hard lesson for kids to learn, or, you know, kid actor, kid actors, um, especially yeah. because, um, yeah, you're just, your, your experience is limited. Your life experience is limited. Yeah. And to really say like, oh, to have that realization, oh, I got to, I'm embodying uh, Sean is, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing right. point. Because a lot of people don't learn and, that. Listen and, too much and up until then, you know, when you're a kid doing a TV show or other films, or you know, you're usually kind of acting like yourself, but saying the words on a page that yeah, someone else wrote. Totally. And you're 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 usually being yourself. It, and this was probably, you know, the the first time with something larger and bigger. It was obviously the biggest thing I'd done up until that time. And you you realize that this there's a world build here, and these are characters, and you know, figure out a way to create a character. But still be yourself because you got to put yourself in there because that's what grounds it. It's the only way you can stay with it for three or four months. Yeah. And, you know, because if you start inventing new characters every two weeks, the movie's going to look weird. You know? For sure. And I, I think that's, you know, you hit it on the head, you know, especially as a younger younger actor, you know, who not only had worked for years leading up, but, you know, had something that was obviously the longest time you can be on set doing the same thing, you know, shooting out a sequence, you got to know where you are in the story, you know, what the, the, the tone and the, and the, and the, and the cadence of, you know, whatever you're supposed to be doing would be at this time. And, you know, it's a big responsibility. And I think everybody was great. And, you know, the kids ended up in the exact spot. I mentioned the audition thing is a lot of people know. And some people don't know that I never auditioned for the role of Sean. Oh, didn't know that. Wow. I screen tested for the role of Rudy. Interesting. And because leading up to, you know, kind of the submissions and, 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 and audition calls for Monster Squad, I had done two or three or 55 TV shows <laughs> leading up to that time that Square One in particular. I was the cool kid. By the way. I, oh, no, that was super dorky. Eddie, Eddie uh, Rimshot But one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites. I love that episode. That I, is so, that show is fantastic. I love Square way. One. I just showed it to my kid not that long ago. He loved it. It's it's so fun. And all of those are on YouTube right now, which is fun. Yeah. Not just mine, all of them. They're, they're fabulous. Math, man. Uh, genius writing in there, by the way. <laughs> totally. What's your name, son? I'm Eddie, Eddie Harris. But you can call me Rimshot. Nickname? Uh-huh. Play the skins? Huh? Are you a drummer? You got it. Can I call you Rimshot? Put on bone. But yeah, leading up to the to Monster Squad, I had always been I, I had played the cool kid with the good hair and a lot of hair product and cool clothes. <laughs> yeah. And so it was obvious, like, oh, Andre Gower's got to read for this role of Rudy because look at the last two things that he's done. And I walked in, read, auditioned, got a call back, got another call back, you know, screen tested. A couple weeks later, they call and say, Hey, you know, you you got casted in that movie that you read for. And not sounding like a a shit but you're like which one because back in the day you're probably reading for two or three a week and a couple mm -hmm. of tv shows and yeah, all this other sure. things every day and you're like oh you know that the the monster squad that big monster movie i'm like awesome and like yeah but the, you didn't get cast in the role you read for and that's usually really bad news right, right. yeah right it's usually much yes. it's usually a much lesser role so i was like oh man am i ej <laughs> or like, am I Derek? Because I knew those scenes. Because I knew like the only other. Because I had read the whole script by that time. Was, uh, I'm like, oh man, I'm like 
I'm like, oh no. And like, no, 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 they cast you as the lead. And I was like, no, Rudy's cool. Rudy's got the coolness. Rudy says dorking. He, he kills all the monsters. He's got the weapons. He gets the girl. You know, it's all yeah. this stuff. Come on. He's got five and, kills. But, you know, it, that lasted for about, I don't know, a half a day um, or two when we start shooting. Because yeah. I know exactly what. Could I have played Rudy? Sure. Would it have been, would it have been good? Maybe. Would it have been good as Ryan Lambert as Rudy? No. No. Well, because... Because Ryan, he's, I know the story. He walked older. into his audition and nailed it. Right, but also, I mean, he's he's just older than the rest of the squad, you know? Um, right. So, right. Right, so then the rest of the squad would have had to have been much younger. Although Eugene is pretty young. Yeah, Eugene looks he's, like he's pretty he's young. I mean, five. <laughs> it's always the question. It's like, why is Eugene there? I, I, I did refer. <laughs> he calls the, he's got the dog. I did refer to him as a he, uh, mini Richard Farnsworth. He looks yeah. like a like a baby version of Richard Farnsworth. I don't know why. That's to me, right? <laughs> like, is but it you know that. So they, it, it yeah, yeah. Uh, that hat's been a topic lately. Um, the, but you know, so then they take you in there and they they chop all your cool hair off and give you a very dorky, non stylish haircut. <laughs> Put you in clothes that you would never put on, and you become a year younger than you actually are, right. and yeah. you're the dorky, insufferable, know-it-all leader of a squad. <laughs> you know that needs to wrangle everybody around because he figures out what's what may or may not be happening. And um, you know, I, I love the story with all these kids of what their knowledge are is, and we miss that in in the movie because in the original drafts it was there, like how much these kids know about monsters and 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 history and monster lore and legend and literature and we get that a lot in the original drafts but that all goes away in the final product we get little snippets of it you know you're talking about spider with human head you're talking about vampire you know we get a lot of setups that we that we don't see the payoff and then we have a lot of payoffs that you don't know are payoffs because you never got the setup well, there's something in the movie, and that a lot I'll, of people don't know that. So only you only know it when it's missing. <laughs> I was I was going to say something that did stay in the movie that I think now as an as an adult we I personally connect with, but obviously Dustin and I have talked about this uh, a lot of through the podcast, through watching these movies now with an adult lens. You you have a level of processing that you didn't have when you were a kid. And one thing I notice is the relationship you have with your dad and wanting to basically emulate emulate your dad, wanting to be cool to your dad. Because I think in many ways, especially as young boys, we want to do that, right? We want to we want to have our dads look at us and go, "You're cool," right? And so those, mo- those moments when you're when you're on the roof, um, you know, watching the movie, and your dad shows up with with Burger King, and uh, and by by the way, uh, Tammy Coleman, who's a fan of ours and of of Monster Squad in particular, wanted to know if the fries were cold when you were uh, <laughs> eating those on the on That's, the roof. That- one, that's a great question, uh, and two, a very Tammy question. Yes. Um, Tammy is awesome. She has literally been there, like every step of the way, and um, you know, it's you, you can't ask for better support you know, than people like Tammy. Uh, yes, the fries were cold. <laughs> cold fries never go over well, but the, but the cold, rela- cold fries never go well. And really, when you're making like you, you really you're supposed to not really eat when you're making a movie or yeah. a TV show. And usually have like a, a you know a, a a spit bucket you know you chew and you just don't because you just you never know right. how much you're gonna have to actually chew. It's true. And um, so you try to do that, but yes, the fries were not hot. Um, there was no Burger King near the lot when we did that on a stage because that scene's on a stage on the roof. Yeah. And uh, I love that. Yeah, I love the stuff between Sean and Dell. I think the the scene in the bedroom's awesome. 
one interesting thing that it was actually shot and it was cut out is, you know, when Sean's walking to the bathroom while Dell's shaving and having that conversation, um, before the disappointment of he has to babysit and can't go to see the movie, um, it 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 here's a setup that you don't get the payoff is he walks by the bedpost and Dell's kind of like service revolvers hanging on a shoulder holster. Mm. And as I walk by it, I kind of glance at it. Like I always would like, okay, my dad's a cop. There's always his gun in the house, but I acknowledge it. Right. I look at it later on in the movie when doing the montage and all, all the things are starting to you know happen. Rudy's made silver bullets and I actually grab some and I go upstairs at one point and I load my dad's gun with the silver bullets. And that's sort of why there is a little bit of impact when he does the miraculous, <laughs> you know, shot of driving in a moving car and hitting a flying bat. Yeah. And, you know, he goes, in, so it, it, it messes up, you know, Dracula's kind of transition, but we get that great creature effect, you know, like yeah. half bat, half man in that, in that weird suit. It's just, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't know why they cut it out. I think it just didn't work in the timing of the montage or, um, they're like, we can't have more than, you know, five kids holding guns in this movie. <laughs> Let's, you know, we got to back off a little bit. Um, but that was an interest. I think that was an interesting, um, kind of, uh, uh setup that we never got the payoff. Oh, and totally. it was just a glance towards, just a glance towards the gun. But the stuff with Sean and Dell, I love. And one great thing in the original was like in Shane's original draft, there was three F-bombs in the movie. And the first one was at, at the beginning on the crawl where it says they blew it. Hmm. It originally said they effed up. <laughs> uh. And which would have been much funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah. for they blew it's pretty funny. Classic Shane Black. Uh, but ironically, talk about a setup we didn't get the payoff. We don't ever know how they blew it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there is a story. And then uh, I can't remember the third one. Is this near the end of the movie? And um, But the second one was in that scene with Dell and Sean. When he comes in, he sits on the bed. And then the phone rings, and he's like, oh, now I got to go. And he's like, do me a favor. And the line in the movie as it stands is, put a basic lid on it. And he goes, mm -hmm. and, then, and then he kind of touches me and goes, now get out of here. And then he takes the phone call. In the original script, it's like, now I said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, you know, I think it was just, you know, I like I, and, and I think that's okay yeah. with Dell and Sean at that time because totally. – yeah. You'd be like, it, it, but it couldn't work because then your movie is automatically R with yeah. like yeah. three F bombs yeah. with kids or something. Yeah. Uh, look, an RPG 13 rating killed the movie as it is. An R, I don't know, may have made it. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. R would have opened it up a different audience, I think. And PG 13, it, it is so tame. Red Dawn was PG 13. You know, uh, like this is, this is not, <laughs> this is not a PG 13 movie, in my opinion. It's PG. And it, it, it was one of the factors that killed the movie. And thank you for uh, mentioning my favorite kids adventure movie from the eighties. Red Dawn is my favorite kids oh. adventure movie from the eighties. And everybody goes, "That is not it's a kids adventure." It's said, not yes, an it adventure. Is. It's not an adventure at all. <laughs> I said, "Yes, it yeah. is. Just, it's the ultimate adventure." Forces invade your town. See what kind of adventure you got. That's yeah. right. I love Red Dawn. Oh, us too. Fantastic film. Us too. Um, we'll be covering yeah, my, my two favorite kids' adventure films of the 80s are Red Dawn and Stand By Me. Oh, awesome. I mean, come on. Yeah, actually, Red Dawn's the next movie we're, uh, we're covering on our podcast. So, um, Oh, it's fantastic. And we, we've got a special guest connected to that as well, but we'll reveal that later. Ooh. Yeah. 
<laughs> no spoilers. No yeah, spoilers. No spo- but you know, the, the the bottom line too is is the fact that this movie uh, continues to live on, obviously through your documentary Wolfman's Got Nards, which everyone should go check out, by the way. Uh, and 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 your journey to get it to where it is. And and again, I think you know, Dustin and I were saying we just love the fact that you love this movie so much. And it's such a brill it's such a, so beautiful to see that someone makes something and thirty years down the road they're like, no, I still wanna I, I, I want to bring it to a new new yep. audience. Uh, I appreciate that. And I think what I've done is is learned I've always liked the movie because I always thought it was good. But then the resurgence happened. And then I see this fan effect. And that affects you as well. That affect you know, that it, it affected me, you know, personally and kind of schedule wise for the last ten or twelve years I've been busy talking and doing Monster Squad centric stuff. But what it also does is that opened the door to other things. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate, you know, this business, like I don't, I don't just do monster squad stuff. I I'll talk about it as, as much as anybody wants to. Um, but you know, I've created other shows and made other shows, you know, working on other projects. But what's awesome is the fact that I was in the monster squad that opens doors. And that's fascinating because, you know, studio execs and writers and other directors that are doing stuff now, we're all fans. Look at Adam F. Goldberg. Yep. yep. I, I now, Adam F. Goldberg and I can, we go hang out and have lunch now um, because of that connection of, of something like Monster Squad. But, and then during that time, and then especially after making the, the documentary, um, your your perspective on the movie and how how actually really good it, it is it you, really is. What you always, as a kid, you always, you always, you always lamented the stuff that was cut out or that you shot was cool, right? Or yeah. The, yeah. you know that got cut out out of the script. That's what you did for years. Yep. You didn't appreciate. I mean, then you, you liked what was there, but you always lamented what wasn't there. And then you learned to not worry about that, and really start focusing on what is there. Yeah. And then when you go on tours and you see this movie a million times, if you actually stay and watch it, you start watching it. You you stop watching yourself, which is very hard to do. When you're an actor, you're like, I, I don't want to watch myself in the scene. I know exactly what I do. One, I was there and I've seen it a thousand times. Uh, so you start watching other things, like things off to the side or other actors. And it's and the effects and the dialogue and the music and the score and the sound design. It's all really good. It really is. It, it is. You jump. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Okay. It's, uh, but you know what? That became iconic. It I did. have... Uh, Yep. Just like his yep. facial hair, just like Michael Cimbello's facial hair yep. became his chest hair. And <laughs> right. You know, and Michael Cimbello, that, you know, that hardcore, you know, hip hop artist with the rap. Oh, yeah. that Iconic. Iconic. At least they didn't get hammered to do Look, it. it was, we both I, I would rather have Cimbello do it than MC That's Hammer. That's a great point. Yeah. No, well, it's way better than the Adams Family rap, I can tell you that much. Uh not, not to throw anybody under the bus, but that song. Um, yeah. But I will, I will say, like Michael Cimbella, you know, we, Dustin and I both love 80s music so much. And, and yeah, as far as montages it's go, it's so fun. So much fun. It's so much fun, you know? And, like, Eugene kind of rocking his head to the... Uh, he, yeah, he is kind of right. Like, what music is he listening to? <laughs> Michael Cimbella? To Rock until you drop. I would think he's been listening to like a 1920s uh, sound, yeah. you know, because with this little cavalry hat on or whatever that he's wearing at one point. That's so. goodness. <laughs> but Andre, uh, you know, th- this, th- like, th- oh my gosh, I feel like we could talk to you for hours 
uh, on we our can. Show. <laughs> we just brought up '80s music. That's a whole other. That's a whole other day and a half. Specifically '80s soundtracks. That's like our bread and butter. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. In fact, we. What's, what's your fa- okay? What uh, quickly? Uh, it, this is like rapid fire. Zach, your favorite '80s soundtrack? It's not available, but it's Real Genius, the Real Genius soundtrack. That's a okay. That's a good one. It's got good stuff. So in if, there. but uh, if, John if, Grease, if one that John is, Grease is in Real Genius, exactly, exactly. Oh yes, he's if, also a must If I had Dustin, to, what's your favorite soundtrack? Um, you know, if I had to, because I kind of like subgenre, but I'd have to say I think it's Vision Quest. Um, for oh. more of a. It was very inspirational for me uh, in, in the sports sense. You know, I'd always play it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I got I, it. Actually, and you, when you say you like the whole soundtrack. Like, it's not I just like the, the, the title soundtrack. song. It's, yes, it's the, the whole thing. The whole got thing. it. Yep. Okay. Those are good choices. I, if, if I had to go with one that was, was available, I would probably do Lost Boys, even though, you know. If I had to do one that wasn't available, I... Uh, <laughs> not a bad soundtrack. <laughs> um, how about no, you? How about you, Andre? A, yeah. uh, it's Purple Rain. Ooh. Never heard of it. <laughs> terrible, terrible choice. Which is kind of a cheat. Yeah. It's no, kind of a cheat. No, it's not. It's, not. No, it's, it's not. a cheat. There's no because cheat. it's a soundtrack, but the movie was made because of the album. But I think no, it's one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> no, th- here's the thing. Here's the thing too. Like, I think that's one of the one of the things we talk about on our show is there is no there is no uh, good or bad. It's if it, if you love it, that's all that matters. Like there there are certain movies that that we love absolutely and soundtracks that we love and then people go, oh, "Really?" I go, "Yeah, cuz personally, <laughs> personally that is it's, our favorite." And that's all that matters. Yep. And that's like it, your documentary. Your documentary is a perfect encapsulation of that because there are fans in there and and and, and there's one in particular that gets a tattoo towards the end. I won't talk about what happens in that process, but it's really <laughs> amazing. Um, and, and I, and I love that. Like, look, my favorite movie of all time is the warriors and, and people go, oh, I've never seen that. Or, and there's a whole discussion in your doc about what is a cult film and what is cult movies? What do cult movies mean? Um, and it's, it's whatever matters to you, whatever creates that, whatever makes you smile and brings you unlimited joy. And it's just so cool that you, Again, I know we've said that it's, uh, said this a few times. You were able to capture that in your documentary. Just the joy that this movie brings. The more to times we say it, the more it means. That's right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I mean, that was really kind of the you know the hope that when you make something like this, when you had you know one or two or three main focuses that you know you you were trying to make sure on a daily basis this is where you were headed, and you would hope the outcome and the effect would be that. And so it's nice to hear. Um, you know, from you guys and others that, you know, that, that, that comes through. And what I also like is people pull, everybody pulls something different. You know, this, like I said, this movie, this, this documentary is not a making of doc. It's not a, where are they now doc? It's not a, like I said, a straight fan service doc. We, we have all of that, but it's, it's about the story and the relationship that the fans have with this movie that have kept it alive for decades and how it impacted them. That was the, that was the important thing. And it's, it's kind of a ride. There's a lot jam-packed in this, you know, 87 minutes or whatever it is, right? And you go on a little ride. You go on a little emotional roller coaster here and there. There's some obvious bits that get emotional that are on purpose or intentional. Um, but then, you know, we, we lighten it up shortly after. But then what's great is, uh, like you said, you know, everybody pulls that. It, it seems that we we succeeded in a couple of the endeavors that we were trying to. And... I love the fact that people come up to me and they pull out certain aspects or little tidbits from the movie that aren't expected yep. gut punches for them or yep. kind of connections. 
And that just means that even more of it worked. And, and so I appreciate you uh, appreciate you guys saying that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate having you, man. Thanks for your time. <laughs> we, hope, we hope that uh, maybe we can do this again in person down the road. Um, obviously, with COVID, it makes it very challenging. Um, and, and, and just the fact that you came on and gave up so much of your time to talk about this movie, The Impact, Wolfman's Got Nards, everything. Uh, math, math net. <laughs> if you got another hour for math, yes. net, let's go. Can we, can we, yeah, can we have you oh back my just, gosh. just we, to talk about to do, square we one? We have to do the arithmetic. <laughs> Square One's great. Go check out all that stuff on YouTube. Those shows are amazing. Math Man. Uh, but there's so much. I think, yeah, no, I Math think Net we could have like right? a four-hour show just talking about our favorite but shows at the time because that's our era. And Math yeah, there, there's, it's there's just Math, Math Man. Math was a segment on, on Square, Square One, one but yes. then there's Math Net. That's a show. Square One is the show. Math Net was what uh, Andre's on. And then yes. Math Man was that was a segment of Square yeah. One. Yes, Which Math I was Man, Math Man, Math Man. Fascinating. When you could turn on TV and learn stuff. Right. I showed him an episode of Where in the World is Carmen San Diego the other day. And well, first thing he says was because we talked about Dustin's uh, love of acapella groups. And uh, I'm joking. Of oh, course. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like Rockapella a lot. Though. Yeah. And I, I go, do. actually, Dustin likes Rockapella. I, yeah. And yeah. and uh, and he goes, wow, this is this is hard. I go, yeah, these shows were challenging, you know. Oh, not the singing, but just yes. the, just the solving Where in the World. Yeah. 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 Rockapella through the right. whole thing. Yeah. His and it was a little know. geography lesson. Totally. I mean, I so you're not so so not an acapella group fan, Dustin. No. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I there have been many college acapella groups that my brother was in one, uh, the Brown Derbies, and that, that and there was a period where I got kind of into it. But then there were just so, some songs that are just should not. Some songs should never be an acapella, and. Uh, they will just destroy the song. And, you know, Fleet, Fleetwood Mac has a song called I Want to Be With You Everywhere. And there was this, and so I was at a, I was at a, a derby show and this other group opened, I don't remember their name. It was something very stupid. I, I remember that one. And they started singing Fleetwood Mac and they were like, I want to be with you everywhere. And I was like, this is not okay. This is not okay. And I, yeah, and, and um, you know, there's just a lot of, boob, but, but my wife hates it even more than I do, so if I, if I start doing, like, a bass line, it's something, and it happens to be a cappella, she'll be like, get out of the house, just get out of, you know, because I'm like, you know, um, but acapella, I like. So, she, oh, I, I almost, I, I'm glad I didn't say that, because I had something in my mind that no, I was say it. Please. No. Please. Please. I, now you have to. Come this on. is a family show. Well, no, it's not. No, we just no, slap it's, an it's, E rating it, on it. And, it's uh, really not. Uh, we, most of our shows are, are. Oh, my God. It's bad. A lot of it's so what, Have what, you listened to our interview with So she doesn't Zach like Moore. your oral magic. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. No, that's good. Thank you for doing that. that that's, a, a, that's a bad mm, dig. But it's a line. It's a line. It's a line of dialogue from. Honestly, one of my all-time favorite movies, which is Pitch Perfect. Oh, yeah. oh nice. Yes. I, I, I have no problem loving Pitch Perfect and shouting it out to the Pitch world. Perfect's um, great. Actually, I think it's great. The first one's great. I love everybody, and I think all of the women are fantastic. I think the writing's hilarious. Yeah. Yes. I think the whole setup is fun because it's poking fun at it, but yes. also celebrating it and rocking it out at the totally. same time. Totally right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I, I even like number two, and three's, three's fun also. Um, but I was just doing, uh, I don't know if you know, Brian Salisbury from, um, uh, junk food cinema podcast. 
Oh yeah, I with, got it. Uh, with with Cargill, and uh, he has a side project called like Comfort Food, and uh, I, I got to go back on it. I think I I think I bailed on him yesterday. But we talked. You talked <laughs> about with people with the, like their comfort food movies. Mm. Oh, nice. And I had to pick, and I was like, oh man. And then I realized that my three go-to comfort movies of all time happen to be music-oriented, and I'll start with the letter P. Platoon. And, uh, uh, picture for every one, right. picture for every two, picture for <laughs> uh, picture, Yeah, picture for every <laughs> But uh, it's uh, uh, Purple Rain, we already already mentioned. And Pitch yeah. Perfect, we've mentioned since we've kind of... Yeah. I chose to talk about Pure Country on his podcast. Oh, oh is that wow. with... Uh, which is the George Strait movie, which yeah. is fantastic. I almost said Conway Twitty, but uh, George Strait, yeah. <laughs> no, like, that would be even better. Yeah. Come on, uh, man. I think Conway Twitty was way too old at that time. He probably remember, was. And uh, yeah, George Strait, <laughs> that's right. They tried to make George... Because George Strait pulled a Dwight Yoakam and tried to go the uh, the acting route. Yes. yes. And Yoakam did it well. And Very well. Strait did it okay. Yeah, it's not bad. He did it better than Stone Cold Steve Austin. But True. I thought okay. you were going to say Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth, but that's a whole other movie. <laughs> even, uh, no, that was, that's, that's is that even great. on a radar? <laughs> oh, it's on my radar. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. I just said. Yeah, that, that's great. So you have to, you have to celebrate those movies because yes. they're made. And you know what? A ton of people watched them and a ton of people enjoy them even to this day. Well, so they count. They you, absolutely count. You made a good uh, good comment earlier talking about, you know, acting's the easiest part of the uh, on set doing your job. And then there's all these people behind the scenes that are doing so much work. And that's the one thing that uh, oftentimes gets forgotten is how much hard work gets put into these movies. And if the oh. movie doesn't do well... If the movie doesn't uh, or gets thrown under the bus, we were talking to Ari Gross not that long ago, and he talked about his film Coupe de Ville, and that the director uh, ended up becoming a head of a studio. So the original studio shelved his film because they just wanted to punish the fact that he left, which is so messed up. Um, but <laughs> Welcome you, to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I know. You know, it's one, but it's one <laughs> of those things that oftentimes people either one don't hear or two uh, choose not to hear because there is so much behind the scenes that goes on, and the people that behind from from the gaffers to you know sound design every every yeah. aspect and it should be all be honored my buddy of mine's a gaffer so you know that's why i threw that out because well, your list just was like from yeah. the gaffers you know to everybody and <laughs> to everybody yeah <laughs> I, I said sound editor i put that in but uh you know foley artist um but you know yeah this 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 idea like if you like the movie who cares if it's pure country or if it's uh my heroes have always been cowboys with scott glenn that's a good one too Ooh, like Scott Glenn's Scott Glenn's one of my all-time favorite people on screen. Ditto. <clears throat> Ditto. And, Have um, you seen The Keep, and, by the way? The horror film The Keep. Yes, but once and I don't remember it. Oh, okay, because he's got he's just it's just different. It's just different. <laughs> I, I love his vibe. I love just his style, his look. Um has nothing to do with the sleeveless mesh shirt and urban cowboy. Ooh. Um hot. But that's a fantastic <laughs> shirt. I, my God, what is that shirt? Um, but he rocked it. Yeah. And then, uh, he's in my favorite, he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, which is also my favorite Western, which is Silverado. I just mm. talked about that movie because Kevin Klein's birthday, uh, is yeah. tomorrow. And, uh, and so you're just talking to people about well, young, no, young was, Kevin Costner. Fantastic movie. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. Scored Jeff, by, oh, Jeff Goldblum. scored by who? 
Bruce Broughton, who scored Monster Squad. The next oh, what? Oh, wait, whoa. We just came full circle in a weird way that we didn't start in, but you know. Yeah, so watch yeah. Silverado and you'll hear some Monster Squad score tones. Oh, oh, that's cool. Cool connection. Trivia. I yeah. love Silverado's. Uh, uh, Lawrence Kasdan did that, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic script. Great ensemble cast of everybody. Phenomenal. Uh, up and down. And sweeping cinematography, great gun battles, comedy. Yeah. I mean, you have John Cleese in a Western? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and Kevin Klein's deadpan. Yeah. My favorite so line good. in that movie is when they meet yeah. in uh, in Turley, and Cleese comes in as a sheriff and sits down and says, as you can imagine, I'm not from around here. And Kevin <laughs> Klein hasn't moved an eyelash and goes, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a great one. Well, Andre, uh, I, I mean, that's a perfect note. Yep. Um, thank cool. you so much for being on our show, $2 Late Fee. And my gosh, I'm, I want to I wanna give you a big virtual hug right now. I'll take it. Here it is. Yeah. And Squeeze. one from me, too. And Wolfman's <laughs> Got like... Nards. Uh, Wolfman's Got Nards comes out on Tuesday, October 27th. And how can people get it? Uh, they can get it, uh, they can pre-order it uh, up until the 27th or get it on iTunes after. Um, they can order the actual Blu-ray on Amazon.com. And then on the 27th, I think it will be out at some other retailers. Uh, but then, you know, wide release on video on demand, whatever your, uh, you know, kind of VOD platform du jour or uh, de préférence is, Um you know, whether it's, uh, you know, use Dish Network or, you know, Comcast or your cable provider, you know, whatever it is, uh, check it out if it's there. If you can't, go to iTunes. Um, if not, just hit me up on social and we'll find it out somewhere for you. Like, right. Where are you? Let's that's, find it. Uh, but it's got a pretty good wide release. This is just the U.S. and Canada release. Um, so, um, you know, we're working on the international, but hopefully it'll be, you know, well-received. I think we've done pretty well in pre-orders in the last, you know, three weeks and, you know, this is going to be one of those things about getting the word out and it's only going to be because of the fans that uh, that want to enjoy it, that have already enjoyed it, that tell their friend to go see it. And, you know, we hope that happens and I hope everybody enjoys it. And I appreciate you guys giving it a look and and having me on and chatting about it. Maybe we have you back on just to talk about movies sometime. Oh, let's do it. I mean, yeah. I, it, I mean, I think we uh, would like to talk about the same era and, you know, shoot out movies and, and fun stuff and. Uh, I, I don't know if you know or picked it up, but it could be a whole other, com- you know, the reason I ended up connecting with Adam F. Goldberg, who's one of my favorite people on the planet now, is uh, he needed to identify the kid in the original E.T. Atari commercial because they wanted to use it on an episode. That's awesome. And Twitter blew up oh, and saying, oh my God. dude, everybody knows that's Andre Gower. <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. That's amazing. So Goldberg and I connected because of the E.T. Atari commercial. I love that. It's a, yep. it's a cool connection we share, for sure. Um, it sure is. Awesome. Thanks, take, Andre. Take care. All right, guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> 
Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.